Welcome to Salon Conversations. It's Lisa Conway here and I'm your host. We often know the public face of those that we look up to in the hair and beauty space, but I'm really keen to find out the full story, the backstory. Why this industry? Where did it all start for them? Where are they now? And where do they expect to be next? In this podcast, I'll be looking behind the salon door because that's the salon conversation. I'm really keen to have. So welcome, Paul. And what's really interesting about this conversation is we could end up anywhere because Paul is like me. He's a very creative man, and that's what I love about him. And before we even started, we ended up on a track about his father still going to an office that he no longer has a job at. So (laughs) welcome, Paul. (laughs) The question that I want to always ask everybody, because my main driver is to how do we keep people in this industry? I feel like the, the saddest thing when we're talking here at this moment, the saddest thing is people get all the skills and they get all the confidence to do exactly what they do and then they piss off and do something else and I think well that's okay but I would rather you piss off and stay in our industry in some shape or form and that's what I love about Paul so I met you a few years ago at Ausdare you handed me some newspaper I thought oh I didn't even know we had a newspaper little did I know what what he was cooking up behind the scenes (laughs) tell them about sustainable salons which I might add is it's like bums everybody's got them at the moment it feels like everybody has those those boxes I saw a little girl the other day on a post she was getting her she was helping her mum in the salon sweeping the floor she was about three and she picked up all the hair and she put it in a sustainable bin and I thought oh see it's everywhere that's so cute love it well thanks Lisa (laughs) well let me do one I just do I'll do a few minutes just to give a high level view of sustainable salons for anyone listening that doesn't know who we are Um, So essentially, look, Sustainable Salons is a comprehensive resource recovery service. We're designed specifically for the salon environment. We reward our members for being part of the program. And everything we collect out of the salons, all the waste materials, go through either recycling, upcycling, uh, downcycling. But all of what we collect ends up going back into local communities and charitable programs. So let me break that into a bit of a nutshell. So comprehensive resource recovery service. We do what no one else can possibly do is we actually do recycling right down to the uh, each individual resource. So we have hair bin, chemical bin, razor tins. We have specific plastic bins to even metal bins because we want to actually separate all the materials at the source so we can actually recycle this at the other end, not like a yellow bin where everything's thrown into one bin can't go anywhere so we're very comprehensive in that space and that's a big plus because i'm going to take you through just a few of the ideas that we do with those materials but saying that we are specific to the salon environment we only service uh hair barbers beauty dermal clinics and one very special one dog groomers because what's the difference between a dog groomer and a hair salon not much (laughs) (laughs) a wash and a kit a clip and a wash and a blow dry pretty much the same thing so we're we're so happy to be in these industries so for others outside of this industry that might be listening we do not service in there and we really encourage you to get on with your industries because we're already on a big journey to solve our industry first because i always say if you can't do your if you can't solve one problem don't try to solve 10 you know, and, and, and we've got a big industry. Um, we do have a rewards program. So when people join up to us, they earn these really cool reward points and then they can actually redeem those rewards for things to elevate their business to be even more sustainable, such as we make things from plastic like combs. We even make glasses, you know, glass frames from shampoo bottles. 
We've even got, I've got some other things here. We've got coasters and the list goes on. So we're turning, and, and what's exciting about that, it's called closed loop manufacturing. We're taking industry waste, converting it back into product lines so they can be resold back in store. Very exciting place to be at the moment in recycling. And only can we do this because we control from end to end the whole process. So our vehicles, the depots, we control it all from end to end. Um, and that's a key part to our secret ingredient of why we can do so much. We don't have to rely on others. And everyone knows that in business. When you've got to rely on too many others, you just can't get shit done. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool there. So the reward store is now taking off uh, immensely for our members. And then the last part there is what do we do with all these materials? Where do they all go? How do they benefit? Just to give you some really cool ones, like the high-level ones is um, things like metals, paper, they're commodities. We can sell it. We actually sell the metal. We sell the paper. Uh, and then uh, we basically donate 100% of those proceeds to Oz Harvest, Kiwi Harvest. Uh, we've provided over 208,000 meals now through that program. And that's basically demonstrating that your foil is actually valuable and it needs to be recycled correctly. And we want to show you the benefits of more than just recycling, but giving back. We're also uh, the Southern Hemisphere's largest uh, collector of ponytails to the medical wig industry. We collect ponytails from all around our salons. We partner with all the major charities, World's Greatest Shave, Variety, Cancer Council, Alopecia Areata Foundation, and the list goes on. Uh, all that hair comes through our depots. We process it. And then for free, we put all that hair back into the market to bring down the cost of wigs. So for parents that need to purchase uh, wigs for their kids with alopecia and cancer is that we're going to help really bring down that cost. And we play a big role now in the wig making process across Australia and New Zealand. Um, other big things that we do also, such as uh, chemical recycling, uh, you know, prior to us, you could never get chemicals recycled out of a salon because it was too complicated. We can do all that. We have also a whole range of other recycling like hair, which blows people's mind. We actually uh, take hair clippings. We manufacture a product called a hair boom, which we completed the research of that at UTS University nearly about, about nearly uh, seven years ago, uh, which has now led us on the path to where we are today. We actually sell these booms. And uh, one, Lisa, you would love recently, about six months ago, we cleaned up a big oil spill in WA. Uh, which was really exciting because it, again, demonstrated sustainable salons. We got to get over 1,200 booms to that oil spill and we were first on the scene before the government and we actually got to clean it up. Uh, and, and again, it was a great story on the ABC. And again, shows the power of if you actually look at a resource like hair, it probably has a purpose because it's organic. It's just we need to spend R&D to understand how to actually turn those materials into useful products of the future. And the example I give there is, look at sheep 200 years ago. Back then we saw meat. Today we see Ugg boots. <laughs> There's much more money in an Ugg boot than there is the meat. So you don't have to kill the animal now. You just got to make more Ugg boots and the hair keeps growing. So why can't our hair do the same thing? Mm. So we've got plenty more R&D projects happening at QUT University now with even hair going into technology, um, which is very fascinating to see what's happening there. We've got two papers published with an amazing student up there who's been doing hard work, but hair will one day even potentially be in your solar panels, OLED displays, because hair can actually play a key role in actually the conductor system. Uh, so hair can produce light. 
which is just insane. Um, but I won't go too deep there because we could go down a very big rabbit hole. But, uh, yeah, there's a bit of an overview. Well, my, my, I've got one question that only just came to me then. With the hair boom, right, so a hair boom is like a big, long sausage and it's full of hair, right? Mm -hmm. so I can see you in a dinghy running that out to Perth, and uh, off, off of Perth, Western Australia, and dropping it in. And then it soaked up all the oil, so the oil mm -hmm. didn't stay in the ocean, which is what we want. And then you put it back in the boat when it was done and you run it back in. And then where did you put it? Yeah, so it, actually this oil spill actually didn't happen in the ocean. It ha happened in a river. Uh, it was a, it was an oil tanker on its way to a mining field and it flipped over and all the oil went into the river and the, and, and the, 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 the Kirkalocka station, uh, so a big station out there that uh, um, is out in the middle of Whoop Whoop. Uh, basically, this is their lifeblood, this water. So all the oil ended up there. They got, they got on for the cleaning process. Once the hair booms are done, actually what's very fascinating about this, so we're doing a whole bunch of research in this space too, is right now we actually have to send them through hazmat. So hazardous materials, and they have to dispose of it that way. So not a great ending to its life. But what we can now say is that we think that we can actually get these through composting facilities. Why? Because hair's organic. Um, the oil is actually quite organic. And, uh, and we actually think that once we can actually solve the sock issue, we, uh, we know that uh, there'll be composting facilities in the country that can accept it. And we can actually have these not going through hazardous materials because it's organic. Yeah, well, that makes sense because otherwise this, it ends up in a bad place. And I'm thinking about the oil would be organic. I wouldn't have thought the oil would have been organic. So oil, we pump oil out all the time, right? So we're pumping oil from under the ground. Uh, it goes through a refinery process. But uh, what actually happens with that uh, then process, depending on the type of oil, because we talk, there's many different types here. You've got petrols, you've got um, you've got crude oils, and so on. So our team behind the scenes is actually we're mapping out all the different scenario types. So our booms will then have to actually suit to which scenarios they're dealing with. So to, I always tell people that the the fun parts over now we know hair can clean up oil. Now the hard part begins is actually how to bring a product to market to actually show that governments are wearing in in, uh, in conversations with government about how to actually get these booms to be on the short list for government. So when an oil spill happens at the Great Barrier Reef, that our booms are a part of uh, a short list that get chosen to go to the oil spill. Um, if This is not an easy process. And Lisa, let me paint a picture. Right now, we have enough booms to clean up uh, and we've collected a lot of hair to clean up a minor oil spill. If we want to even be declared to be a part of that uh, approval process, we're going to need to still collect another five years of hair. We've got a stockpile it. We've got to have warehousing for all of it. And it's got to be then located in all corners of the country, ready to be dispatched. Why? Because you've got to be at the oil spill within two days before it hardens. And uh, these are really complex things that need to be solved behind the scenes. So if you read much about Into Our World, so in our latest green chair, <laughs> um, basically you can actually see the progression we're on and just how far we still need to go. So it's 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 not just like I say to people, it can't just be Instagram forever. Once you get into our world, it gets complicated and hard and we need we have a team now dedicated at Sustainable Salons called the Innovations Team. And we have five people in that team and they are problem solvers. And this you might find really interesting is a bit of progression that hairdressers don't realise. You know, some of the people in that team come from hairdressing. Really? Yeah. They're not just you know, scientific and engineers, because we also need problem solvers on, on, on also a grassroots level to how do we communicate 
to a hairdresser about these problems and make them matter. Yeah. This is this is otherwise, if we get too technical, it goes too far down a rabbit hole. So yeah. our teams are really built differently. So I, I, I give talks now at TAFE and universities the same way and attracting really just passionate individuals who want to come and solve problems. Yeah. What an interesting journey when you think about you started out as a hairdresser yourself. Yeah. And you end up in this space. So you get to keep all your hairdressing skills, but you look for the gaps. You know, I always think it's good to find the person who isn't what you are because why do you need two? You you can do that part of it. But did exactly. you when you started out, go back to how did you even begin? Because I believe you're the founder of this idea and company, yeah. So With my partner. Then, yeah. then there's Evelina, that's who you met. She's your wife now. Do you have a baby yet? We had our little baby four weeks ago. Oh, that's nice. What's his name? Sachi, a girl. Uh, name, so, huh? yeah, little baby girl. She's so cute. That would be changing your workbook. <laughs> You'd be used to getting rid of waste now, wouldn't you? Oh, I tell you what, we're actually just experimenting with the uh, organic nappies, you know, the not organic, um, reusable nappies. Yeah, I wondered about that because, well, I'm showing my age now, but I love cloth nappies. We just use yeah. cloth nappies all the time. And um, uh, store-bought nappies were a real luxury and we used those sometimes when you went out for dinner or to somebody's place. But, um, yeah, I don't think they make – I've seen them in the baby shop because my daughter's having a baby, but I don't think they're very popular anymore. I saw one the other day, whereas there's a pocket in it and you put this padding thing inside – and then it has the yep. same clip-up things on the side. So I can stay yeah. tuned, everybody. I can see this. It's going to be some nappy waste. Hey, so, honestly, now that Evelina and I are in this space, we're like, oh, we can solve this problem. We can solve this problem. Like, actually, there's a connection. So, look, you once, you once you're in our space, everything's solvable. It's just whether you've got the courage to go and solve it, really. And the, resor um, and the resources. Like, I'm always um, drawn to your energy. I always think it's fascinating how excited you get with whatever section you're talking about, you know. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times things morph and what you started out and wanted to do is not what you end up doing, you know. And yeah. so you think about a hairdresser, they love cutting hair and that's all wonderful and then they get someone to help them and someone to help them. They've got five on team and they go, this is shit. I don't, these bastards won't do anything I want them to do. And so it can sometimes take away the joy and the love that they started out for. And yeah. that, that's why that's why my job is to get them to find that joy again. So there's got to be systems and structure. But for you, it's really interesting. You've got, you wear a few hats. I think, don't you? So tell me how you just in short, how you got from the hairdresser, you met Evelina, and then you thought, oh, let's open this com company. We ended up with a baby. I don't know. Yeah. Somewhere in between there's the truth, yeah? Look, you, to give you this a really uh, short part of it, because of course they're always long stories, but um, I actually at 19, so I started my hairdressing career at 11. I left school at 14. Um, I, 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 I was a very entrepreneurial mind already back then in how, because my grandfather made us grow up understanding the value of money very early. So I had to learn about money very early on. So at 19, I had my first hair salon, but it wasn't a typical hair salon. I didn't want to build just a standard salon. I actually want to solve the problem of why salons weren't like a tap, because I worked in Italy for a little bit going, well, why are we not blow drying all day? Why are we not doing like colors all the time? Like in Italy, women live at the salon what's happening we used to be a servicing industry and now we're actually more like a, a six to ten week booking industry which i was frustrated so back then and i won't go too deep here but i built the first ever uh, a membership-based salon where a, a, a client paid about back then 300 dollars a month and she could have unlimited hair and beauty services and uh, and she could get a six month or yearly package 
and the whole house was at your demand. What do you want? And I always said, that's how salons should be today. And back then, this is 2000. And I tell people, you know, back then, you only just got your email address for the first time. So, <laughs> you know, like I still look at the pamphlets and flyers that we created. They were hilarious. But but basically, uh, I already had a very entrepreneurial mind. So for two years, we built that, um, turned it to be a very successful concept. I ended up selling the concept um, off to someone. Uh, and that took me on a journey around a little bit around the world. I ended up in the Netherlands. Um, which I planned to only be there for two weeks. And I lived there for the next nearly decade. And uh, basically, when I did live there, I met my partner, Evelina. Uh, she actually was studying fashion sustainability. So I didn't have a huge background in sustainability. She was just studying it. And when I when we first met, I still remember it was our first night. You know, I, I met her in the kitchen at a, like of a friend's party. And we just ended up talking all night. And I remember just asking her, what, what's fashion sustainability? She's like, you know where your clothes well you know it's not just the factory it's like where does the cotton come from where does the water come from what's the deals being made behind the scenes with government to get the water distributed to these farms in third world countries there's so much that goes on in what they call today the blockchain and that is that just blew my mind and i was like i still remember coming back to the salon going where does the hair go where does the metal go where does the plastic go and that's really what begun the journey and then i said evelina Look, get out of this fashion industry. They forget them. We need to, because you know, you know me. I, I, I'd sell it. I talked her out of it. I was like, fashion. Who cares? Hairdressing. <laughs> so, to to give you the funniest first step, I still remember taking back home. So I live with about five people in a in a shared house in Amsterdam, and I remember taking back like kilos of hair from a day's cutting, and I'm like, I wonder what I could do with it. And I started shoving it in all the pillows, the couch. Yeah. And- <laughs> It was so funny. They didn't even know, but what they did know is their backs were getting itchy because <laughs> all the hair was coming out. I forgot to put the liner. <laughs> you dickhead. That's so funny. And who, who wants to live with a bloke who's stealing hair from the salon and shoving it in your cushion? Uh, my boss, yeah. she was cracking up in Amsterdam. She's like, what the hell are you taking? What are you doing with all this? I'm like, there has to be a purpose. And I started Googling like, Hair used to be a part of our bricks. I don't know if you know this, horse hair and even human hair, but mostly horse hair, will be put inside the clay to build a clay home and now you have insulation. Mm. Yeah, and I think in plaster too, I think in plasterboard, originally that was um, horse's hair. That was used in a lot of things because I think it was pretty coarse too. And it was used... Well, you know the difference between horse hair and human hair? <laughs> no, one comes Nothing. from horse hair. <laughs> No, or, or keratin and to be honest you can make beautiful extensions with horse hair um yeah. you know it's horse horses have beautiful hair yeah it's a little bit stronger but very good to work with yeah it'd be a little bit stronger i'd imagine that but it was also in plasterboard in old plasterboards that was horses hair in there as well yeah. and, and i think even on the seats of things you know the seats of you know, that held the seat together and then they had the press studs around the thing and then the cushion came on. So, yeah, yeah it was, I think because you could get such a long length at the tail and, and even the mane as well. So, well, yeah. can I show you something that might fascinate you is we've even found a way to actually bring hair together. That's very small clippings of hair and we can actually bring it together, mat it together to make potentially in the future insulation. Okay. Well, because I said to someone the other day, imagine hair down the cavities of your home would be like wrapping your house in a mint coat. It would be. But would it be, what about fire resistant things? Yeah. 
there's the issues fire resistance because hair is not uh, a great source there but you can you can treat it and uh, and stop it from happening so uh, again it's just it's just a matter of putting the r d everything is r d you yeah. know and uh, that's yeah. a secret source yeah, about if you've ever tried to slide a barbecue and then it, you thought oh, it doesn't work click 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 and then it goes boom <laughs> yeah <laughs> your hair yeah. There goes the eyebrows. Yeah, that's right. You got no lashes, a little bastard curl up, and then all you could do is, I think it must get up your nose, but the smell. Oh, straight so away, right? It just gets burned down the fireman will say, I'm not going to that house. It's got fire. It's got hair in the walls. I'm still fascinated to know why hair stinks a certain way. It is fascinating. Hair has a very unique smell when you burn it, and uh, and I think it's got a lot to do with the sulfur that's burning out of the hair. It's yeah, a- certainly, it's certainly got a smell. But I remember as a kid when the horses shoot the the farrier because I grew up on a farm. The farrier would come, and that's the same smell as you smell um, when you are in a nail salon and they're filing nails and stuff. It's the same smell. Yeah. That's the keratin, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it could be. Look, we haven't ever looked into it, but uh, I definitely think there is something there because it stinks very. It's got a very unique smell, and I, I really wonder what that is. Maybe you shouldn't smell too much of it. You might get high. <laughs> That's just, I'm not encouraging I anyone going, to start going into um, beauty salons, laser beauty salons, and you go in there and it smells like they're plucking chooks. It really does. <laughs> it's not a good smell. But they get so used to it. And I, I remember coaching some of those salons. I go, you've got to get rid of that smell. And they go, what smell? I think yeah, it's like perm solution in the 80s. We couldn't hey, even- I was going to say, remember when we, I loved as an apprentice. I used to, honestly, a Thursday night, I'd come out with so much energy and my mum's like, yeah, because it's called peroxide. You're sniffing it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, probably. I, am I just getting high in here? Can I, I can I throw something at you, Lisa? Whatever you like. Has the strength? This is what fascinated me, though. When you do enough R and D into our industry, you start finding out some funny things, and you're like, so wait, a lot of our peroxide hasn't. We're still using 20, 30, 40 volt, right? But it's fragrance now. So you're not smelling the the the, the smells are still there. So back in the eighties, they never added the fragrance. So you could actually, so I'll give you an example. When you, when you stirred your color, you would be, ooh, you would pull away. Today you're like, smells like roses. <laughs> oh, well, it is better. It depends on the brand. Some brands are shit, but it is better. So what are you saying? They've just covered, they've masked the smells. Well, is that what you're saying? I think, I think what we're going to be really, I think they've done it because we've demanded it as hairdressers. We, we didn't want the stink of a perm solution. But we've also got to bring to, I, I think there needs to be real warnings put in the back of salons now saying, you've got to remember that is not that is not roses or lavender you're smelling. You are smelling full-on chemicals. I'll give you an example. Imagine you went to the petrol station and your petrol smelled like lavender while you're pumping up your, your car. You sit there going, great, but no, you, you're meant to pull away. Meant to pull away. Okay, that's very true. Yeah, that's very true. Well, I paint at an art class and you, they won't let you take in, um, is it turpentine you wash your brushes with? If you're, oh, yeah. You're not allowed to. Oh. You have to do. You have to go outside to do to clean your brushes. I'm, I use water-based anyway, so it doesn't matter to me. But I thought, wow, that's interesting. Whereas there was that smell that was just around. Like you just you you, you learnt to min, to mix a colour over there. You don't mix a colour under your nose. Yeah, yeah. right. But so, no, no, but I also think I was led to believe that they might not be as strong and potent as they once were. No, not true. But I, I yeah, look, I don't know. I haven't done enough deep diving in there because I just think. 
I, I still think no, we see sure. very harsh chemicals. Like when we're still on hydrogen peroxide and we're still on some pretty wild chemicals that, you know, I, I definitely think you, you've got to be, it's okay to fragrance them, but we need the warnings that uh, guys, yeah, you're not here. You're not here to just breathe in because you're taking deep breaths now and you're, I'll say to someone, take a deep breath of petrol and see how long you last. Yeah. Well, there's some people who think that's fun, but anyway, that's a <laughs> Yeah. That's, uh, that's enough. <laughs> I actually, I'm one of those petrol sniffers. I don't mind the good smell when you when you fill oh, up. Tell me about oh, it. Kids. You said turpentine. <laughs> I actually smiled. I was like, oh, yeah, good old turpentine. Yeah, and the kids open the back window of the car and go, that smells good, Mum. <laughs> Even my daughter once, she wrote a note for me at, with black text late at night on a serviette and she and at the end she goes, P.S., this text smells good. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not supposed to. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, so let's go back to... Um, I like to also talk about what's exciting, what's happening. Like there's a lot of shit going down everywhere you talk. Somebody's got somebody sick. They can't find any team members. I saw one the other day. I felt like pulling it off her window. It had uh, senior, uh, we're hiring, senior hairdresser must have five years. That was in black typing, stuck on the window. I looked in the salon. There wasn't a soul in there. And I just thought, oh, seriously. Like it's just not very engaging, I don't think. So tell me some good things. Tell me something that's happening around that you're excited about. It can be. Oh, look, you know me. I get excited uh, because, again, it's it's a problem. If you can solve the problem, uh, how can you not get excited? This is one to to talk about the problem of staffing. I'm hearing a lot of people, of course, talk about the problems of staffing, how to find staff. And then I actually reversed it on some because people say, oh, we've got to flood more people in and we've got to fill the gaps. And I said, can I maybe look at it from a different angle? Have you ever thought that we've actually got too many hairdressers in this space? Because if you actually look at the demand side, no one's struggling to get their hair done, right? It's just us complaining that we're like, we don't have enough staff to fill the gap. But we're saying that, but they're not saying it on the other side because you would hear it on the news. People saying, I can't get in for 10 weeks. What's going on? We need more hairdressers. So basically I said to someone, if you've got a staffing issue, all that's happened is the market's changed. They've maybe gone into freelancing, home hairdressing, whatever. And I said to someone, have you ever stopped to realize that if you're a salon, if I said to you, there's probably the talent that you're looking for within a 10 kilometer radius, would you think I'm kidding or what? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, have you ever thought to actually understand who is in your radius who maybe just wants to walk to work? Because what are you, what a person's looking for today and working just hairdressing versus corporate is they're looking for lifestyle flexibility. They're looking for themselves and they're actually willing to take pay cuts. It's not money, which we all think it is. And uh, what's very fascinating here is I got actually a friend of mine to do this uh, down in Canberra. And I said, why don't you, and I gave her like a list of things. I said, go to to Gumtree, do a search in your area, find out who's in your area, look them up, have a look at their Instagrams. Then I want you to call them and say, hey, I'm not actually here to engage with you um, to, to try to get you to work, which you are, but that's we'll get to that in a second, is you just say, I just would love to take you out for lunch to understand where did we go wrong. And I, I, you have to approach it like that because... So you're, you're wanting to talk... So this is a salon owner talking to someone who works from home. A it's just a home hairdresser or freelancer. Where did, you, where did you go wrong? Okay, yep. And I'm just you start the conversation. Where did I go wrong? And, and, then, and, then, and then they'll say things like, well, for me, and this is what happened in the conversations. So you did a couple of them. The first things were this. 
Uh, it was my boss that didn't let me have a baby, actually, comfortably. It, he put pressure on me when I wanted to have a baby. It was, a, it was an important thing in my life. We hear that all the time. Another one. Um, I was just wanting to be a bit more flexible. I don't want full-time hairdressing. I just want part-time and do something else. Another one was like, you know, uh, training was crap. You know, typical things we always hear. So then I said to her, if, if you ever wanted to come back, what would be an awesome way to come back to the industry? And again, this is this is classic techniques in how to win friends and influence people. I don't know if you've read, you know, Carnegie. Yeah, yeah. Look, look it around. And now they're telling you about what's the perfect world. And what happened was is they were saying things like this. Um, I would love to come back and just work three hours of a day. Um, I, I don't want to be fixed or tied down. So if it, if it could be flexible, those hours, um, if I could have control of the book so I could control the clients a bit easier um, and things like this. And other things like, you know, I, I would, you know, what, what were perks would you love to have? Like extra things. And one person said, oh, I just love maybe my Netflix. I watch, I love Netflix. And another person said something about like, I don't get to get things clean very often. So cut a long story short, she then changed her contracts around because she says, if I can just get someone to turn up for three hours now, uh, every two days to just do work, that's a big tick in, in, in the hairdresser's world right now. So she rearranged the contracts and now she offers free Netflix, two garments a month to get dry cleaned and 50% off her off yoga. Um, uh, uh, and which is the best part, she actually also offers a one hour session with her accountant at the end of each quarter to just do a refresh of her books. And, and it's got nothing to do with the salon. It's just about that person independently having a bit more financial control because she says, if I can get them financially feeling better, about themselves individually, they're going to be happy and want to work for me longer. And all of a sudden, now she's got three or four of these uh, home hairdressers coming back to industry. So what I've said to now people, I'm like, we've got, and let me paint a picture here, right? We've got 20,000 plus salons in the industry. There's about, there's about 90,000 people registered to be hairdressers. Uh, let's cut out about 30,000 of those because they've registered and now they're off doing something else. So we've got about 70 odd thousand that hover around. About 30, 40,000 of them work in salons. So you've got this pool of about 20, 30,000 hairdressers who are just at home. I bet you now 10% of those want to come back. I bet 25% actually want to come back. They just want to come back in a, in a way that suits them. And Lisa, can I put it this way? This is no different than corporate right now. If you want to attract staff right now, let me give you an example of what we do. Every JD now at the top of it, we don't expect you to work in an office. Hmm. You know, that automatically brings in 30% now more applicants just by writing that at the top. Your job is expected to be remote. Mums now all over the country, it's the time to be a mum hmm. because you can now be at home with your kids, getting a great wage, managing your life. And the best part, you can go move remote. Mm. And it means that you can live in a different place. Like a lot of people can't move from where they are because of their job. But if your job allows you to, so for us, it's more difficult when you need the therapist to come into the business, you need the yeah. hairdresser to come in. So it's a little bit different like me. I, I worked, I went away for a month in Bali and it didn't matter. I could work from anywhere. So I'm, I'm lucky in that way because yeah. I'm educating. But if you're a salon owner, you could still educate. But I'd like you to think about it a bit differently. And I, I had a thought like yours, but mine was different. I, I remember in Carlton in Victoria, I mentored three women in the same street 
in mm. Carlton. So three separate salons. One had one on team, one had one on team, and one had two on team. Now I spoke to them and said, why are we paying three lots of rent here when any one of your shops would house you all? But they can't play together. Ah, uh, yes. So That's why you need the sweet model. Yeah, but that's part of the challenge, I think, for people who um, opt out and go to work from home is they're disappointed by a previous business owner. That's true. Business owners are perhaps inflexible and don't want to shut on Saturday or don't want to, you know, and there's there's freelancers for that. Let's be honest, there's enough home people who want to do it. And I do agree that it is a lifestyle balance, but I think we've got to get past the model of we work with more than three or more on team and there's too many without three or more on team. Yeah. We can't get past that. So why do we pay, you know, the rents that we pay, $1,000 a week or something, when you've got 1.5 people in your business? I, I just think that doesn't make sense. I think you need to share the space like Uber shares a ride, you know, uh, you the whole Uber, or you can share a ride. My kids share rides. Pool, yeah. Yeah, so you could pool. And even if it meant that that's the business and you cut the rent in half. So instead of $1,000 a week, it's if there was three people in there, there'd be three. Right. Can I say? Can I throw something back to you? If it wasn't Uber, do you ever think the taxi industry would have ever figured that out? No. Now let me bring it to you like this. Then this is the problem, and we see this in industry, right? What you got? I always challenge with my team. I say, guys, how would Silicon Valley solve the problem? And the reason I say that is, you look at any great product that's come out of Silicon Valley, none of them come from industry. No. What you need is we're, we're embedded beauty, barbering, hairdressing, so forth. So when my I have a team dedicated to who, who come from very different fields, you know, in graph, uh, in, industrial design, uh, even finance and so on. And when we come and solve a problem, we get to the why. And, and, and when you get to the why correctly, and it takes time and energy to get to the why, post-it notes all over the place, this and that, it's so simple. You feel like you should have known it, but it takes time to get there. And once you get there, that's what Silicon Valley is doing. They're getting to the why because what people really want is probably very different to what product you're selling. So I, I actually say to, and I challenge hairdressers a lot in this space too, and, and beauticians is, well, if staffing is the biggest issue right now, has anyone tried to talk to the other side? Mm. Is anyone actually talking to the other side? Or are we just assuming because we're bosses and we think we're gods because we own a business and we're, we've got a proprietary limited and, and uh, you know, whatever. And I'm like, when you talk to them, you know what I see? Huge business opportunities, massive, because they they're actually desperately would love to come back so many people. And, and even if they don't want to come back, they're still working. They're still trying to figure out how do I play in this space? And you know who's kind of intriguing me a little bit at the moment, which we should all keep an eye out for, is remember, we just had the first big tech billionaire company start to play in our space. Square has landed. I don't know if you noticed. Yeah, Square yeah. has landed. We've now got a Silicon Valley. Their company is worth, and let me put this into perspective, when you look at now, um, uh, you, you look at the Commonwealth Bank, you know, worth yep. $8 billion, well, look who's now alongside them. Block, which owns Square, is worth $70 billion. They can buy Commonwealth Bank. Actually, they could buy all of our banks combined. Mm. That's how big these tech companies are. So he, they've now landed. Um, and there's some other really good ones as well, by the way. We've got Fresher, Timely, some really other great softwares. And the, the tech, tech, and what I'm saying is tech is coming. 
And what, what we're going to see in here is we're going to create what you just said with Uber. You're going to have pool. You're going to have products and services that's going to connect the two much better. So maybe, and I paint a picture for a future hairdresser, imagine the future salon is where you're not a boss of the future. You're more like the landlord just catering for the space. Yes, you're still working, but you're making a great space come alive. You're not in there to be dictating the rules. You just have set rules. And, and you're seeing this already take off in very different ways in America. We've got some awesome examples of it now in Australia with, with Freedom Suites and Salon Lanes and others popping up. We're seeing a different way of approach and it's making it to the point of being so flexible. So actually, we just need to deep dive. I still think we've got a long way to go yet. No one solved it. Um, actually, we just got to go in and start bridging the gap between us and them and stop thinking that they're so different than us. They're not. Well, you have to change, otherwise it doesn't work. The thing that's interesting in America, and we've done a bit of research in America because we want a product for there, but they have a lot of... Um, they don't call them renter chairs, but it's at their version of renting a chair. So every salon you go to has about 10 or 12 operators, but because mm. they work on tips, um, what happens is that the people who own the business, often it's more than one owner, but they still work on the floor because then they can they can get the tips then. But yeah. often it's in the favour of the what we call onesie, more so than it is the, the salon operator. So I'm not sure that's the solution. It's but not. And, and and can I even say, we've already, this is nothing new. Rent-A-Chair was around 20 years ago and it came from America. And the reason it never worked in Australia is because we've got labour laws, <laughs> pretty much. Okay. We've got laws that say that you can't do certain things. You, in America, you can treat a worker, let's say, like crap. They've got to have two jobs, work off tips. Like imagine you're in Australia right now and you had to work to make pay your rent and you had to earn tips. Well, we don't. That's not our culture, so we don't no. have tips. No. But what do you thing, think, actually? Can I ask you? What do you think? It's actually. Do you see? Do you see the hairdressing model changing much over time, or do you feel like? Do you feel uh, like we're in a kind of a sticky point at the moment? I think. I think we're still between. There's too many old school and not enough young school. I think we're we're probably at the tipping balance. Um, mm. I don't think the the system that works where you train someone from the start to finish and then let them go. I don't think that works. I think that the the training in a haircut or the training in the colour only, and then they could off they could go. Um, we've got no regulations at all, of course, as you know. But I feel like there's too many um, set in their way type people. And, and we've also got a, a problem with them not playing together, not playing nicely. So it, it's a world full of, um, but I don't want to do it like that. So the owner doesn't want to have them in that model and they don't want to work under that model. So it's a bit of a Mexican standoff the way I see it. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and I, I feel like um, there are people that are, that are not having trouble to find um, team, and that's because their culture is really good. Oh, you the said owner, the word culture, right? It's all about owner, the culture. That's right. The owner's prepared to listen and and talk and be flexible and still still have guidelines. I think it's not bend over and take one up the wrong one. It's not that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you need to listen, right? You need to listen to what they want, and even like a simple strategy as a job share, right? So you have a person, say Paul and I, employed in the same role. We're looking for a senior stylist. So Paul and I, Paul's got a new baby. I'm much older and don't want to work full time. But between the two of us, we've got to fill 30 hours a week. Now, one week, Paul might do 10 hours and I can do 20. And the next week, I'll do 15 and he'll do 15. But it's between us to sort it out. 
right? So that's called job share. So if we were to job share more roles like that with responsible people like Paul and I who would have it covered, we'd be fine. Yeah. But our industry is also, it's very young. It's riddled with uh, drug use and um, all of the things that make it a little bit tricky. It's not seen as a long progression of career moves, like when you are uh, in corporate, you've got this and then you want to be a senior manager and it's really laid out for you as to where you want to go, even like my daughter in medicine. she's got It's mapped out long before she even starts of what the end looks like, what the salary looks like. Yeah. We've just got to... Um, learn enough so the boss stops watching you almost and then you're yeah. you're done so really to progress and we have salons that make incredible money but they have to be incredible leaders so they've got to get away from the tools and start being a business person so for me i was lucky that that was my uh, superpower anyway i liked the game of business more yeah. than i was a hairdresser and i probably could have run a restaurant to be honest but i feel like they often lack um, those business skills, and they are very reluctant to learn them. Whereas the younger ones, they're different. The younger ones don't, they might have had hairdressing in their blood because their auntie or their mother was a hairdresser, but they don't want to be like their auntie or their mother. They're smart enough now. They go, I don't want to do this. They want to be a business owner. They want to have a baby. They want mm. to trust people to do jobs. Whereas I feel there's still too many of the old school around who have trouble letting go, have trouble trusting you know, and so that's really sad. And I think they got legacy. It's a legacy problem, right? Because they came from a world where it was like you got cash and you had cash at the end of the day. You had, you know, you had queues of apprentices trying to get in your door. And then all of a sudden now it's like what the parent problem is. Now the kids control the parent. You know, we, we didn't grow up like that, right? Where we had to just get whipped into order. Now today you have all this way of how you have to talk to a child. And you know, it's funny you say that. I actually say to a lot of boss owners, the only thing that's missing now just like the taxi industry to Uber is great technology because do you really want to be a boss or do you just want to make great money? Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a boss to make great money. And can I, I just give an example of one of our members in South Australia. We've got, there's three girls. They're under the age of, I think, 28, I think around 25 each. They both bring in about three grand each a week, right? And what's crazy, you think, any of them do haircuts? No, they just nail balayage. They, they and, and I just love this example because I'm like, they do what they do really well. What they love. I'm trying to be each other's bosses. They're just like, we're just pumping because their Instagram is just balayage. They nail three types of balayage. Girls come driving in from miles around to get it, and that's what they do well. And I, I say to people, like, you've got to remember, stop trying to be everything. We don't need to be bosses. I've got to run a whole salon, and you've got to accept every client and do all this. You've got to do one thing really well and dedicate yourself to that. And, and, and that- because of the because of the channels that we have, you know, uh, uh, you really need to stop being the general store and really niche down on what you. Yeah. Like. Yeah. There's, there's. I think there's. When anyone tells me there's, there's no money in our game, I say, well, you got rocks in your head because I've seen plenty of money and it is flowing like crazy. It's just that you, you haven't figured out how you ha- you just don't maybe have the business mindset yet you're still stuck in maybe hairdressing land and that's where to be honest i see the future actually being probably very different where you're going to have business people running the house and yep. then hairdressers are filling the gap but paid really well and again great example of the freedom suites of selling lanes. people are having control they feel like it's their business but they don't have to think about anything lisa we're doing it can i even paint you this picture i'm in we work my team, we gave up the office a year and a half ago. 
We have WeWork passes. We turn up to WeWork. You know how great this is? Yeah. I got a beer tap on every level. We've got a barista downstairs, yoga rooms. I'm yeah. like, and I don't, I never have to think about the rent keys. I never, no one has to close up. Yeah. But someone, who's, but someone who's good at that is not thinking about, you know, whether your performance is done well or not ever. They're just, they're just providing the space. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's lovely. There's opportunities. We could talk forever, but the, the, the thing just went ping because my next one's in the room. That's a shame. <laughs> well, I'm real, I'm, I'd like to see a photo of the baby. Has she got curly hair like you or she got straight blonde hair like you? Well, like- she actually came out with hair, so dark hair, and she's showing a few dark features. So maybe the Italian blood lives on. Um, <laughs> but who knows? Who knows? I'll, 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 shoot you, I'll shoot you a photo. I'll, I'll ping you one after this. Yeah, that'd be lovely. And what's your key learning from having a baby for four weeks? What would, <sighs> what would be the most, what you thought, fuck, I never thought about that? You know what? Uh, Evelina's really good at, she's very structural, so task-driven, so prepping. And I think um, we were so knowledged up before having the baby, I don't think we had any shocks. And uh, can I say one thing that really blew my mind? A doula. A doula. That's Do you a, know what a doula is? A person who helps you with the birth, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, they're, they're kind of everything. They're, you're like your BFF, but you pay for them. So oh, yeah. we pay for her because, and, and she just with Evelina and I, the whole way through from six, about six months coming up to the birth and then about two or three weeks after. And they just answer all your questions. They do all your research. So you, whenever you've got something to think about, you just ask your doula. And I'm like, I think everyone needs a doula. I think the government should fund doulas because you know how you've you got your parents, you've got your friends, and they all give you their stories and you're like, oh, fuck. right? Just I just want truth. <laughs> That's right. Um, and the up-to-date truth, absolutely. Yeah, so doula. For anyone listening, having a baby, go get a doula before about six months leading up. And uh, I've heard now there's there's death doulas. There's, you've actually got many different doulas. You can have a doula for actually, yeah, it's, it's just like a bestie. Who's knowledge up. Who's knowledge up. Okay, good. I'll look into that. Very good. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Lisa. Always a pleasure. Thanks for always supporting us. And I love the work you guys are doing and, uh, and, and helping all our members on their journey with coaching. So thank you. My pleasure, lovely. My pleasure. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.